This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 519 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. Today on the show, we are joined by international judge Joanne Bauhaus, who will take us through the process of becoming a dressage judge. Karen Isberg comes on to talk about fly control and what to do about horses that are extra sensitive. And then we're pleased to have Megan McIsaac on for a trainer tip. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Hey, Reese. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you this week? Excellent. I love it. <laughs> We're rocking and roller. <laughs> We're having a great time. The summer is here. The <laughs> Toronto Raptors are world championship yes, basketball team. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. It's, it's That's really awesome. fun. The, the, uh, the parade was today, and I think they had two million people come That's out and crazy. show up to to cheer the team on. And yeah, that that is amazing. That is so cool. That was a really cool moment for Canada. Of course, we were actually cheering for you, so it was good. That's so we're nice. really excited. How fun That's is that? Nice. I think it's sort of a Canada all... thing because uh, yeah. if anybody doesn't know, I'm sure lots of people don't that Canada only the entire country only has one basketball team in the NBA and. <laughs> Uh, we used to have two, and then we lost it to the Timberwolves. Went to Minnesota, I think. So I think you're right. Yeah, no, it's so, crazy. And we so won, fun. and we won the championship, and we're so happy here. <laughs> the whole country is just continuing to party for a long time. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's just a reason to party. But yeah. I think we all, all of us, understand, and because we all do a sport, how difficult it is to win a sport like that. And there's so much good luck and fortune and everything has to align and good coaching and all the things. And so it's, it's fun. I think, you know, Phil and I are both sports fans, so it's fun to, to cheer, yeah. cheer them on for sure. I love it. Yeah. I'm cheering Toronto teams on in, in everything. In everything uh, so. I love it. I love it. Well, cool. So that's well, what Phil, we're up to. That's about I it. Love it. Anything, do you guys have a horse show coming up? Oh, there's always a horse show coming up. It was a small <laughs> show this last weekend, uh, you know, that I was coaching a couple of clients in. I had a lot, uh, the weather was good and, you know, success. And then another one, a little bit bigger one, a two-day show this, this weekend with different people going. So, you know, going <laughs> through the rounds, I have all the, all the dressage people getting out to their respective shows and a lot of coaching, a lot of... A lot of nervous tension, actually, in the barns yeah. right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is time because, right, this is, you know, you guys have a condensed season for sure. And there is a big shift when, when you go from training to showing. You know, it, it, it becomes a little bit more real. Everyone gets a little bit tighter, but you have to really take a deep breath and, and not get upset about it for sure. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Reese, uh, I just wanted to highlight our uh, our book of the uh, every other month for, for our club in case anybody didn't... Uh, didn't listen to the episode from a couple of weeks ago. We are doing The Riding Doctor. This is a book by Beth Gloston, who is helping us with our off-the-horse fitness and stretches and Pilates, and I've been enjoying it. What do you think, Reese? 
Yeah, for, for sure. I think, you know, as you, you get older in this sport, you have to really spend a little bit of time doing that. So I have really enjoyed it. I do a lot of the hip openers. I have a lot of trouble with my hips. Uh, so uh, that has been really fantastic. I like literally open to that chapter and I haven't moved off that chapter. So <laughs> right, I well, should, uh, but no, I, I was just going to say, we're really happy to be doing this book because I think it's going to help all of our writing. And especially I've been talking to my adult AMI clients who are appreciative of, of all the th- exercises and things they can do off of the horse to help them, you know, bring more fitness to their lessons and their riding. And, uh, I think this is a big, a big thing for, for people who can't ride four or five horses a day. Yeah, for sure. I love it. I well, love everybody it. get, get this book at horseandriderbooks.com and we're going to be reviewing it later next month with our auditor. So looking forward to that. It. Fantastic. Well, we've got a great guest. Karen Isberg from Kentucky Performance Products is on to talk about fly control, and we hope you enjoy, and this is a helpful interview. Well, tonight we are so happy to have Karen Isberg from Kentucky Performance on. How are you, Karen? I'm good. How are you, Reese? Hi, Phil. I feel hey. like a month goes by really fast. I don't know about you. Uh, yes. It, it's June already. I can't believe it. This year is just flown. It is so flown. We love it. So we've got a very important slash germane topic for right now for most horse people. What are we talking about tonight? We are talking about flies. Yeah. Flies, flies, flies. Oh, the bane of our existence. They are. (laughs) They are. It's so true. And they're, I don't know, Phil, about where you are, you know, in Canada, but they're horrible here right now. Uh, We're not too bad just yet, just because we're late into getting into a proper spring and summer. But, you know, we're dealing with a lot of mosquitoes and then... And then black fly season will be coming on and we get them all. We get deer fly, black fly, all kinds. Yeah, we don't get the, the deer flies as much, but we get we get black flies, don't we, Karen? Yeah, we get those nasty biting flies and lots of house flies, just aggravating flies. And and I don't know if you get them up there, but Phil, but we get the no down here. Those little uh, bitty flies that bite yeah. them underneath their stomachs and on their necks and yeah. it causes that really nasty kind of skin irritation. A lot of skin irritation. They get that irritation. Yeah. And they get that thick kind of leathery like skin that the hair doesn't grow back and it's really, really itchy. So that's a that's a pretty nasty one that you'll see usually a little bit later in the summer when those yeah. little gnats come out. Yeah, it's it's, it's not so good. <laughs> it's not good at all. So Karen, tell us what are some things we can do for flight control? Well, you know, there's there's lots of different things that you can do. So there's fly predators, which I think both you and I use. There's different fly traps. So you have sticky traps and smelly traps. And I think one of the biggest things that you see is that people put their traps in the wrong place. So you'll walk into a barn and they'll have this big smelly trap in the barn. And that's actually the wrong place to put your smelly traps. You want to put your smelly traps away from, they attract the flies and then kill them. And in the barn, you want to put your sticky traps because those don't attract flies. They just catch the flies that are there. So think about that when you're using traps. Use the appropriate trap and put it in the right place. Of oh, I think I've been putting them in the wrong place. Oops. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do. They put their stinky ones in the barn. And what you want to do is put them about, you know, away from your barn, 25 feet or so, 10, 15, 20 feet. In the sun when it's warm, if it gets really, really hot, you may have to move it into the shade because sometimes it even gets too hot for the flies. But just there's usually directions that come along with the traps when you buy them, and it's really worth reading the directions and knowing what fly you're trapping. And where the best That's my problem. Traps. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't like to read directions. But the sticky ones are better for in the barn. 
And then there's a special kind of trap for those biting flies, because the biting flies, they don't, um, they don't care about decomposing manure and stuff. They only care about a blood, a blood meal. So there's, there's uh, very specific traps that are made that, that mimic what a warm horse would look like. And you put those about anywhere between two and four feet above the ground. And you put them just outside of the areas where your horses stand around the most. And it, they're sticky trap and it collects them that way. Is that like also, a hanging kind of trap important. kind of thing? Yeah, I, I've never heard. I, I put mine on like a little hanger that you would put a hanging basket on. But right. about So it hangs about two and a half, three feet off the ground. And I put it just outside my paddock area. I've caught a lot of flies just in the last, I have, I had it out, put it out Saturday and I've yes. caught a lot of flies since then. Wow. And those are the bitey ones. So you won't catch them in the stinky traps. They don't uh, interesting. Huh. See, I, I'm learning so much tonight. I had no idea. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of different places that have traps. Spalding has a good website that has traps on it and there's several others. I mean, if you just Google fly traps, you'll get a lot of information on it. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what about feed-throughs? I mean, there's there's feed-through options, aren't there? Well, there's all kinds of feed-through options. I've never used those, um, so I don't know too much about them. So if any of your listeners have used feed-throughs, it might be, they would be great if they would let us know which ones they like and if they work. Absolutely. And I guess the purpose is that it, it, it's an, you know, it kills the fly then in the manure. But if you manage your manure correctly, you can help reduce your flies a whole lot. So you want to Take your manure out of your barn because the manure is where the flies breed. So you want, and it takes about eight days. So you want to make sure you're hauling the manure out of your barn and your paddocks every day. I clean my stalls twice a day or pick them at least in the afternoon to get rid of that. Then you either, if you're using a manure spreader, make sure you spread your manure within seven days or else it just becomes a breeding ground for flies. Or if you have a, if you're, you're putting it in a dumpster, make sure they come at least once a week. If you're using a manure pile, you want to have the big concentrated pile because that gets very hot and the flies, the larva won't live in it. And then what you do is around the edges where it's cooler, you just turn that once a week and that will stop those flies. If you turn them into the hot pile, then then the flies won't hatch. So those are just some of the other things. Um, Things things people don't think about are flies like to hang out in weeds. So if you have weeds in your fence lines, then you're, that's a great place for flies to hang out. So make sure you weed eat down all your weeds and clean up any rotting leaves, any rotting um, forage material, old hay bales, straw, anything like that that might be sitting around and rotting. You want to remove that because that's where the flies like to live. Wow, that is so cool. I fed garlic before. I don't know. My mom, my mom, you know, liked it growing up. I mean, it makes the barn smell like a Italian restaurant. <laughs> Did you find that it worked? You know, I think it helped. I I think it did help. You know, I don't know. You know, it's definitely something that we did. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I've heard about, you know, several mm -hmm. different uh, sort of anecdotal remedies of of feeding different things that people say work. I I don't know. I I haven't had much experience with it. but To make the horse smell bad. And and horses will roll. and, And part of the reason why they roll naturally is because it covers them then with dirt. And it makes it harder for the flies to get to them. So, you know, having a place for your horse to roll and get muddy, as much as we hate it, it it definitely reduces flies, along with all the fly sheets and fly boots and, you know. All all the things. (laughs) All the products, yeah. Yeah, all the things. And I... 
I just, I don't know if it, I just bought a citronella plant. I was just at Lowe's and I bought it and I thought, oh, I'll put it by my front door and see if it works. So I don't know. I think there are some plants that do repel mosquitoes and flies as well. I'm going to try this I citronella all the plant. That you can yeah, try. all the things. That's how we are. Yeah. Everything. You maybe, know, we'll take told a, me, well, maybe we should have a survey, you know, from our yeah, listeners, what pe- to, what our listeners send, do. In, send in their best remedies for, for fly problems because I think a lot I of people are dealing with right now. Yeah, I think, I think we'd all appreciate it. And I like as as natural as you can go, for sure. Yeah, the, know, the you know. plant remedies and, and things like that seem like we uh, would love it. Yeah. It's something healthier for the horse, and then yeah, exactly. you know, and us, Reese. You and I have have struggled this spring with a couple of our horses with just real sensitivity to these flies that are biting yes. them. So, aside from you know trying to keep them off, turning them out in the night after dusk when the flies are gone and then keeping air moving in their stalls and things. I suggested to you that you feed your horse um, our Contribute Omega-3 fatty acid supplement because it does reduce the uh, the allergic reaction that a horse has and it reduces inflammation systemically. So lots of times it'll just it'll dial down some of the reaction that yep. these horses And it, have. it's made a big difference on him. He was, you know, anything that would touch him, he would explode. And, you know, I mean, he's, it's not, he's become kind of sensitive. And so it, it actually has made a big difference. We put it on, what, a month ago, maybe, maybe a month and a half ago, and it's already made a huge difference for him. Yeah. I, really you, you need to, if you have a horse that you know is sensitive, I would start them on the Contribute, the Omega-3 fatty acids at least three to four weeks before you know the flies are coming out. And then if you have a problem, it's going to take a couple of weeks for that to work into their system yep. and help calm everything down. But yeah, it helped my pony too tremendously. Yep. Tremendously. She was chewing herself up. I mean, she was yeah. raw. So, but that, that really helped. But it did take, it took, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. It was a great suggestion. Well, fantastic. Karen, thanks so much as always for all the great information and, and everybody, we really would like to hear what your fly remedies are. Stick it on, on our website or, or on our Facebook page. We would love that. And Karen, if our listeners have some questions about Contribute or any of your other supplements, how can they get a hold of you? They can go to our Facebook page um, and post questions there or message them to us. I That page is watched pretty much 24-7, except, you know, I'm sleeping at night, but otherwise I'm on it and kind of keeping track of it. Um, you can go to kppusa.com and um, there's a there's a, some email addresses there. You're happy, you can email us there or you can call us between 8 and 5, Monday through Friday, Eastern Standard Time at 859-873-2974. That's the office number and you can ask for me or we have several girls that answer the phone that, that can help you with your questions. So. We love to talk to you. I talk to a lot of horse radio network people on the phone. It's great. I really enjoy it. They call and they go, help. (laughs) So I'm always happy to help with whatever problems people are having, whether our supplements can help them or not. Hopefully, if I don't know the answer, I can find somebody that does. Fantastic. Karen, thanks so much as always. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. And, uh, you know, try to stay fly free. Yeah. The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. 
Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase vitamin and mineral supplement is a low calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Well, this evening, we are so happy to have Joanne Bauhaus, FEI three-star international dressage judge on the program. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, we always, we don't, we don't give judges enough love. So we're very happy that we're giving you some love and some judges some love tonight. Well, they're so, so busy all the time. That's I the know, problem. Getting them really on the show is not easy for us. <laughs> yes, no, we are. We're on the road a lot, so it's hard to tie us down. It is. So Joanne, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I live in the Oshawa area. I'm um, in Ontario, so we're just about an hour away from Toronto. I rent a farm and I run a boarding training facility off the farm. And then I do a little bit of traveling around in the area to, to do some lessons. And I also do clinics a little further afield for weekends here and there. Fantastic. The rest of the time is, yeah, the rest of the time is spent traveling to horse shows for judging usually. Yeah, and that, that's something, you know, riders don't think about. The judges really are on the road so often. How many weeks a year do, would you say that you judge? Uh, so this year I have 19 shows scheduled to judge this year. So that's 19 weekends that I'm away. Most of them are two-day weekends. Some are three-day weekends. So, so it's, I'd, I'd like to know just what, what inspired you to take, to take on the role to become a judge and, and, and do all the work involved in that. Uh, I think it was a, a little bit of just getting involved in it. I was asked to judge a fairly small local pony club show, a dressage part of it, and I quite enjoyed doing it. I thought it was, I mean, I had never done it before. It was my first time, but I really enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed being helpful, being able to give the riders some pointers on how they could improve their test and how could they could improve their way of riding. And it's just sort of blossomed from there. Wow. So we, we actually, to become an international judge is really, really difficult. And we wanted to kind of explain the process. So how do you, how do you do that? Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? So to, before you can become an international judge, you have to become a senior judge in your national federation. So for me, that my national federation is Canada. So I had to become a senior judge. But when you first get into the judging, you start out as a recorded judge, which means you're just doing uh, Pony Club and 4-H and really low-level shows. And then every couple of years, you try to get yourself upgraded. You have to be a rider as well, and you have to ride to a certain level, as well as do a fair amount of showing and uh, judging to be able to um, get to each different levels. So we have the recorded and then we have the medium and then we have senior. So I started, I think probably my first judging was probably around the early 90s, 1990, 91, when I first started. And it's taken me until 2018 to become an FEI. And I know in Canada, you have to continually, you know, up, update your education and do a lot of clinics and, and travel and spend your own money to, to, to be able to just, you know, go up through the levels. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, so you, in order to stay current with your judging, you have to attend a um, 
judges clinic within Canada every three years and be, you know, sort of evaluated by a senior or an FEI judge that will tell Equestrian Canada whether or not you are still doing a good job and they feel that you can go on. And when you're an FEI judge, you have to continue to do the same thing. You have to go to refresher courses every three years, and all of the refresher courses, of course, will be outside of Canada, and the traveling there is on also on the judge's expense. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, you, you got your, your senior level Canada judging. Tell us about the process of having to get your FEI certification. So, yeah, so to become an FEI certification, you have to have the support of your national federation. So my first thing that I had to do was I had to send a request to Equestrian Canada, to the Christine Peters, and ask if Equestrian Canada would support me in becoming a FEI judge. And when they said yes, then they have to tell the FEI that they are supporting me. And then the uh, FEI gives me the go-ahead to start the education process to become an FEI judge. And that F- that education process means you have to do shadow judging with FEI judges at um, FEI three-star shows like CDI three-stars or above. You have to sit with mentor judges that are on the mentor judges list from the FEI, and most of them are four- and five-star judges. So it's a bit of an organizational nightmare because you have to find the three-star CDIs. You have to find ones that are going to have Grand Prix classes that have a large enough number of horses. There has to be a minimum of eight horses in the class. So it's difficult to do in Canada. You have to travel quite often to the States or to Europe to do that. And then you have to organize with the judges that are going to be on the panel and make sure that there's at least two Um, off the mentor judges list from the FEI that are willing to work with you at that show. So it's a lot of calling around and finding out which judges are going to be at which shows and that type of thing. Florida was great because there's a lot of judges to pick from from Florida, but there's also a lot of judges that want to go to Florida to do the mentor judging, and uh, they will only allow one judge to shadow each weekend. So you have to get your call in early and get to know the show organizer down there so that they'll give you a weekend that you can come down and shadow judge. Interesting. And what does it mean to shadow a, a mentor judge? Tell us about tell us about that, what's going on during the competition. And, and so that, during uh, the shadow judging, you have to actually judge the class. So you sit by yourself, usually someplace off to the side or behind the other judges, and you have to supply your own scribe. And you have to actually judge all of the horses that come in the class. And when the class is over, the mentor judges take your tests and they go back to the office and they get copies of their own tests. And they compare your scores and comments to what they were giving for scores and comments to see whether or not you have good knowledge and good use of the marks and good comments that the rider would be able to understand clearly. And that, that makes sense. And, and it's, it, I think that's what people always, I mean, or maybe don't understand that the judging process, it, it's, it's a very, very difficult process and it takes a very long time. And like you said, it's actually at your own expense. So yeah. I, I think that that's, you know, just something to always remember, you know, the judges are really there. It's almost a public service in a way, because I, I bet, I, I don't know, but most judges would make more as trainers than they do as judges. Is that right? Absolutely. If I was to teach a clinic for a day, I would make more money teaching a clinic than I would judging a horse show. And that's even the FEI level. 
I think that's what yeah. what is shocking. It's it's really yeah, even the the big Florida shows with you know mm-hmm. prize money and and you know. But, yeah. Uh, oh yes. It's still yeah, and that's why a lot of the trainers who could be good judges don't go through the whole process because it's actually more beneficial for them to stay as trainers. And once you become an FEI judge and you start to judge CDIs, you can no longer show in them. Oh, really? You can no longer show in a CDI. I did not know not, that. Not and judge in that same year. So if I had a nice young horse that I wanted to bring up and you know I thought about showing it in a CDI, I would have to ask the permission of the FEI to do that, and I would not be able to judge any CDI shows that year. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Fantastic. So that's why you, you don't see a lot of FEI judges that are still riding and competing because it's a conflict of interest. So you, you have to pick one. and You can show at national shows, but not in CDI. Yeah. yeah. So after doing your, how many hours, like, or is it shows or hours of shadow judging do you have to do? So you have to shadow judge a minimum of two times um, and get two positive recommendations from the judges. So each time that you shadow judge, you work with two mentor judges, okay. and they decide together whether or not they feel you're a good candidate. And yeah. if they think you are, then they send their submission to the FEI again. And you also have to do some sit-ins. So with the sit-ins, you don't actually judge the horses yourself, but you sit in the booth with the FEI judges and you listen to them and you maybe have some small discussions in between horses about why they gave something a certain mark or what would they do in this instance. And you okay. learn a lot from that. I mean, that's It's, it's sort of immediate feedback to, to yes. uh, you're watching and you're learning sort of uh, together. Yes, yes. And it can be a little bit, daunting as well because they will say okay you judge this horse and i'll tell you if i don't like the marks that you're giving if i don't like them then i'll change them okay so you can be put you can be put right on the you're on the the line right on the spot at that moment and i mean if you give something a mark that they don't think is correct you know they will immediately say no that's definitely not that and they will tell them to describe what mark to give it right but it is a learning for the scribe yeah yeah, but it made it. That's all. That's where all the learning comes in, and that's where you learn the most. Like, despite the fact that it was expensive to do, that is where I felt that I got the the quick feedback and yeah. either a positive or a negative, right? To know whether you're looking at the right thing or not looking at the right thing. Interesting. So, so what's the process after that? So now you've done, you know, you've done your so shadow now you've, judging. Yeah. So now yeah. you've done your shadow judging, and then you send an application to go to the exam. So if you have got all your shadow judging and sit-ins organized and you have your National Federation supports you, you apply to go to the next exam and then they'll, they'll tell you when the next exam is. So for me, it was in uh, Stuttgart, Germany, and it's not always in Germany. Sometimes the exam, like the year before, was in Russia. Oh, my goodness. So they, I mean, the exam moves around a little bit, but it does tend to be in Germany the most. And once you set the send your money in, and send your application in, then they will send you the information back and they'll tell you when the when the exam is going to be and how long you have to be there for and make they'll you know help you to make some hotel arrangements and stuff like that. But you do have to pay for all of that. So t- tell us about the exam itself. So the exam is fairly lengthy. It go was over four days. So on the first day of the exam was a classroom and we watched videos and each judge that was in the exam had to watch a particular segment of the video and give it a mark and a comment. 
and then they worked their way through all of the judges. So everybody got to judge a movement from the Grand Prix test, from the start of the test, the first movement, to the end of the test. So they had 14, we were 14 judges in our exam. So they had 14 horses doing movement one, 14 horses doing movement two, 14 oh, horses wow. doing movement wow. three, yeah, and yeah. they cut wow. and paste it. So you had to, everybody had to come up with a mark and a comment for different horses doing the same movement. And in that, the examiners that were there, that we had two examiners that were there, and again, they would give you feedback immediately on whether or not they felt you were making a, a good comment or a good mark or whether they felt you could be higher or you could be lower. Over the entire weekend, they give you a maximum of so many points that you can be different from what their judging would be. So on day one, we were you're, you're being tested. It's not just a you know, wait and see. If your yeah. mark is different from what they would be giving, you either get a plus for so many mistakes. So if I gave something a seven and they thought it was only a six, then that's one point wow. against me because I didn't get the correct mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next day, we went to the horse show, to the Stuttgart, to the Dressage Masters, and we had to actually judge the entire Grand Prix class with a, with our own scribe. So we all sat in the stands and judged it, and they took their tests again at the end, as well as the examiners. They judged it, and they took all of our tests, and they spent the evening going through all of our tests to see whether or not we had given the right scores. And the same thing would happen there. So if we gave something a mark that was not what they gave it, that would be another point against you. And you were only allowed to have so many points over the weekend. Yeah. And Mm. if you went over a certain number of points, then you failed the judging part of the exam. And if you fail one part of the exam, you fail the whole exam. So we were marked. (laughs) We were marked. Yeah, we were marked on our judging by video on our live judging at the horse show. And then we did um, oral judging at the horse show the next day. So rather than actually um, doing the entire test, they gave each of us a microphone and it moved around from judge to judge. And you had to orally judge in front of your peers. So only your peers could hear what you were saying. And it was the same thing. They could talk back to you while you were judging to say, you know, whether or not they did or didn't like your comments and your marks, and it was another point against you if you did something incorrectly there. <laughs> oh. um, so it's it's fairly nerve-wracking. Like you're on... It's impossible. Yeah, I'm rolling. <laughs> you really have to be on the entire time you're there. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah I would have on, to have so much coffee. So yeah, much coffee. so that was three days of actual marking, and then on the fourth day, it's an interview, and there was a written exam as well. We did a written exam on the third day. And that had a little bit more to do with judging principles and what you're looking for in certain movements and how would you explain how to do this movement and, you know, a little bit on basic judging and on some of the rules. So you need to know the rules. You need to know reasons that Mm -hmm. horses would be excused from or eliminated from the class and that type of thing. And on the fourth day, we had an oral exam. And from the oral exam, they probably... From looking at what you had done on the previous three days, they would ask you some questions where maybe they wanted to have a little bit more clearance from you on what you were thinking about in a certain moment. And just also just on judging principles, like for me, the question was, when does, you know, when is the canter, can the canter become a problem and become four beat and in the training process? And for me, the answer was, and you start to collect because that's when people usually lose some of the impulsion and the energy in the canter. They make it short instead of 
collected with expression. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, comments like that, things like that, they want okay. to ask you about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm I'm exhausted just thinking about it. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, yeah, it is. I think, like, I it's, think it's people a... need to think about this if they want to go around and criticize judging because yes, yeah. well, yes, the because you're on the hot seat. Yeah, you're really yeah. on the hot seat, and you're being you know you're being judged by five star judges in the right. exam. They're so they're really well experienced, and they expect you to be able to come up with your marks and your comments very quickly. You don't have a lot of time to think about all, it. All in the right moment, because another another movement's coming, especially mm-hmm. you know, FEI Grand Prix and yeah, even the St. George that I won. They all it, it all comes quick. Yeah, everything happens fast. There's no downtime. You can't right. uh, you can't let your attention get distracted for a moment while you're judging. But the interesting thing is that when you are actual judging the class or judging the particular horses, you don't get distracted that easily. If you're just sitting watching somebody ride a test. You can easily look away and look at something else because you're not the one that's responsible for the mark. But right. when you're actually in the judge's booth, yeah, it is responsible. It's much easier to concentrate and stay focused. And, and people need to understand that too. When you're in the judge's booth, your mind is working diligently the whole time. Yeah. When you're yeah. yeah when you're sitting in the stands, you can talk to the person that's sitting beside you, and you can make comments on what's going on. But your attention doesn't have to be on every single thing that's happening in the ring. Right. And I just think it's it's such a good reminder that you know judges really at the end of the day are there to uh, help, and it's a, it's a difficult process in which you guys are also on the hook for almost more than trainers, right? That you, you mm. have to. You have to, you know, keep a scale and keep the everything going, and it's it's a very difficult process. And if you ever ever want to know, try in the states. We have you know the learner judges program, and you can yes, go and yes. audit. And it's it's really a great program. That, you know, you can go not even if you want to go for the judging, you can just audit the program, and it it really does put in perspective what the judges have to do. And it, it's a very it's a very difficult process. Yeah, but, you uh, have to look at the whole the whole picture. You can't just look at one particular thing that's happening in the ring. Right. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for your time today. This is such a, it's just been such an enlightening discussion and we really appreciate it. And how could our listeners find you online if they uh, want to connect with you? So if they want to connect with me, they can uh, find me on Facebook just under my name, Joanne Bowis, B-O-U-W-H-U-I-S. Um, and that's about it. I don't have any uh, uh, page on uh, the web yet. Not yet, Perfect. anyways. I'm gone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Okay. Well, Phil, I don't know about you, but I have been also training pretty hard for some horse shows coming up on Big Mike, and, and I use the Stability Stirrup Leathers on him from Total Saddle Fit, and I love them. They have, they've really helped me, actually, with, with that particular horse. Uh, he's not been my easiest to sit on, so yeah, anything helps, and they have really, really helped my sitting, actually, and, and I'm showing third level, so I have to sit. So how's it going for you? It's fantastic. Uh, Justin, actually, just has come out with a couple of longer legs which is great for people with long legs so if i think previously they only went to 60 inches or so and now they've got they've got i think two more lengths 62 and 64 so that's really really handy for me and uh, anybody else who was gifted with these with with long legs and tall Mm -hmm. people so uh, we appreciate uh, justin helping all of us out you know short and tall and you know everybody who is riding and working working on their leg leg position which I think should be all of us. Yeah, um, he's, yeah Total Saddle Fit is helping us all out. 
Thanks, Justin. And so, um, and he's coming out, he comes out with new products all the time. He's just a great guy. And you can uh, learn more about the company at totalsaddlefit.com. And hope you try the stirrup leathers because you'll really like them. And Phil, we've got a great trainer tip from our good friend, Megan McIsaac. We hope you enjoy. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, I am always happy to have Megan McIsaac. She is actually a new USDF certified instructor, and she's also a friend of the show and a friend of Phil and I. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's always a joy to come and join you guys. Well, we love it. And now we can add certified instructor to your already awesome resume. <laughs> so we're really happy about that. That's Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. It is. It was, it was a long process and I'm really proud to have accomplished it. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody should be. So we're, we're, we're plugging everybody. We love it. So you've got a great <laughs> trainer tip for us. What you got for us this week? Well, I put it out on Facebook and um, I actually, it's like three questions and they are how to stay focused and positive when working on long-term goals, common struggles or setbacks, experience as horse and rider evolve and how to work through them, both from training perspective and psychology. And what do you say nearly every day or often repeat to the same riders and what you wish you never had to say again? So regarding goal setting, what I recommend is at the beginning of the year, write out your goals on a sheet of paper. What are the objectives? How are you going to accomplish your goals? Write everything that is going to help you move forward including exercises, if you're a competition rider, shows, scores that you need to obtain, and act. Then yeah. give that sheet to your... Yep, yeah, ahead. I was going to say, you need to share that sheet. I think it is really important. I think that's what's cool about doing it sort of at the beginning of the year, because they always say that writing down a goal makes it a plan, executing a plan makes it, you know, there's a whole there's a whole thing about that. So I think it's really important to be able to do that, don't you think? I think that's huge. And also what I think is huge is sharing it with your coach because I started handing out sheets to my clients. And when I read them, I had no idea that is what my student's goal was because they had never vocalized it. Um, And then it gave them an opportunity to actually think about what they wanted. And then we could start a dialogue and say, this is realistic. This isn't realistic. And then, or how are the steps? to get there. So I highly recommend that. And then I also recommend like throughout the year, look at it and see like, have you accomplished half of it, a third of it, all of it. And I think a lot of times we surprise ourselves on how far we, and then of course, I, what I really recommend is at the end of the year, after you've accomplished your goal, write everything down that you've accomplished, including riding, attitude goals, competition goals, all the little and the big stuff and see how far you've come. So that's what I had for goal setting regarding setbacks during your the process of it. I highly recommend videoing yourself. I don't think people video themselves enough. I think it might be one of the most helpful tools, at least that I've found. And also keep the videos from previous years because when you're going through a training phase, I think it's helpful to look back. I teach a lot of adult amateur riders that are really hard on themselves and they're perfectionists. 
And I, I think that is really helpful for them to actually see the progress that they have made. I'm trying to, I'm looking yeah, through. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, think I think that's true, isn't it? Like, and even yourself, like, I mean, I think professional writers, we do the same thing. You, you know, you're like, oh, I totally forgot. Like, wow, we've really come a long way. And it's always important to, to it, it is a journey, right? The, the What we do is a lot of like short-term successes or maybe little wins. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's really, it's a marathon. It's not, and it's sort of meant yeah, to be that I way. Think, you know. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the point about having setbacks. I don't know that there is a person who's ever ridden a horse or done anything worthwhile that did not have a setback of some sort. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's part of being realistic and in hoping to achieve goals, but mm-hmm. um, dealing with the, with the the lumps and bumps along the way. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. You you so it's it's tough to to not be, get too high in the highs and too low in the lows and just say. Mm-hmm. You know, I always have a thing when I have a bad ride on a horse. It's like, tomorrow's going to be a new day. We just go back to the training. I, I'm going to make a better plan. I'm going to do a better job. And we're going to move forward. Whether that's, you know, with a, with a training problem or my riding position problem or, uh, you know, an injury of some sort. It's You, you got to just kind of try and keep an even keel about it and, and not think that the sky is falling you know yeah. in the moment exactly and and don't exactly. you think too guys there's a point where you need to be realistic maybe about your goal like there's dreaming and there's this and that but I think a lot of times at some point you have to just become realistic like mm-hmm. okay this is my goal I would really like to do that but this horse isn't ready for this or we're not ready for this or I mean it, that, that that's hard sometimes especially when there's like a timeline if you're going for a selection of some sort for example or where you really have to stop and say this isn't going to work this is this isn't going to work <laughs> and I think that's hard right. I think it's hard to find that you know sometimes to do that for sure and I think that's yeah. very hard and um, I think that's why having a good team around you whether it's your coach whether it's your vet whether it's your farrier or even a friend that says hey or what fam- are you doing fa- a family member you know um, yep you know, somebody who yeah. can help you be grounded in either way to say, you know, we should talk about entering that next show because, you know, whatever's happening is not in a, you're not in a positive place right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, somebody is saying, okay, this is, you know, this is going really, really good. Let's, let's keep it going. Let's, you know, stay positive, but also be thinking of, you know, there, there, there's a million little hurdles we have to, we have to uh, get through and that it's not always a, straight line to the top never is never is and one of the other things I had written down I have a few things written down but um, you know never apologize never be afraid of making the mistake um, you know even if you do decide to go to that show and you really knew deep down inside that you shouldn't have been there you weren't ready for it it's just, again, a part of the process. I find, you know, the, for the, the last question, what do you wish you never had to say again, is that so many of the people I work with are so hard on themselves and afraid of making mistakes, and they just don't believe in themselves. And that's all a part of the process, the bad, the good, and everything in between. And so sometimes it's just helpful I, I wish people had like a little bit more cowgirl in them. Just kick the horse and move forward. Kick yourself and move forward. So that's that's what I had for you guys today. Oh, I think that's yeah. and I think that's, that's a great true. point. We we all make yep. mistakes and we all, 
you know, nobody's perfect. And, and like you said, we just, okay, you learn something from a, uh, from an experience. If it wasn't a positive one or if it was, I mean, either way, right. You, you learn something right. from an experience and mm-hmm. you just say, we, we can carry on. Yeah. And I think that's, that's yeah. a good thing. I think it's a good thing that, you know, again, so, I mean, it, it hurts, maybe it hurts your pride more than anything, but you know, let's say you go to the horse <laughs> show and I mean, I had this happen. I, I had an okay first day and I was, I was pretty happy and I was really looking forward to, you know, to the next day. And then it didn't go well. The weather was terrible and it just didn't go well. And I'm not going to lie. I, uh, maybe had a glass of wine and called Phil and, you know, had a little stew in it. And then I was like, all right, you know, onward and upward and, and yeah, we have my... a little chat and we just say, yeah. okay, let's go. Yep. Let's go. Let's, let's figure out the new, the new way. And, and I think that that's, that's horse training and that's at the end of the day, what we're all doing. And, and you have to, you do have to keep that in perspective. Uh, but I think as we're all going through and, and it is a fluid, it's good to write down your ultimate goal. This is what I want to do, but know that there's going to be peaks and valleys on the way there. So I love it. Mm-hmm. Megan, as always, you're, you're fantastic. Uh, and if our riders are looking to check you out and, and figure out uh, and, and learn more about your program, how can they find you online? They can find me on my website at www.lindenhoff.com or they can call me 608-445-8531. I also have some wonderful sale horses available. Come on out and try them. Give me a call. I love to connect and make great matches. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate talking to you guys. And I miss seeing you. And I love sharing whatever I can. We got to do a reunion in Florida for sure this year. That would be fantastic. We miss you too. Yes, we do. All right, girl. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night. Well, Phil, we were really serious. If anyone um, has some good fly control tips or mosquito control tips, we really want to hear about them. So feel free to email us. I'm Reese at Horse Radio Network, and Phil is philip at horseradionetwork.com. We would love to hear from you, and uh, don't be afraid to, to send that to us. Uh, and we also we love Facebook and email shout-outs and questions. As always, feel free to send them our way. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. (laughs) 